0: People are going to be writing about us for the rest of our lives, and after we're dead. So I intend to either confuse the issue so much they never knew what was going on, or to try and keep shoving out bits and bits. So as whoever is bothered to be looking at it in the future, the people that really know will sort out, you know, they'll know what was going on a bit. There's a lot of books about the Beatles, a lot of theories, and I try not to read them. And whenever I do, the first thing is like, oh, that's wrong. where you go trying to find out any little bit of dirt that they can write about you. Beatles is Beatles have Beatles, Beatles, Beatles. It doesn't matter, you know, what, what people say, you can't live all your life by what they want.
1: Another Kind of Mind, a different kind of Beatles
2: podcast by Another Kind of Mind.
0: If I called you the kind of musical skits, which is that there are parts of your work taken from 20s, 30s, music hall, vaudeville, parts taken from straight 50s rock, yeah. uh, parts of today, and nice sort of comely chat with the kids as well. Yeah. Where's your audience, Paul? In I mean, the theatre, Dave. But all these ingredients I mean you can't knock them down and I'm not trying to be intellectual but there are bits of your material which are almost down to a kind of Deborah Kerr sentimentality there are bits of it which are you know fly me high there are bits of it which are straight sort of Elvis rock yeah so what I mean you know that's what I think like well you know If you got another band, maybe they would come on and they can play one kind of music all evening and it'd be easier to kind of categorize them, you know. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, we just happen to have got together a few numbers to play for the people. And that's really where it's at. It sounds very kind of coy. That's where it's at, you know. Uh, So I don't personally bother to categorize it because I know someone's bound to. We play like a bit of anything, you know. I've been influenced since the day I was born. Uh, with music, you know, I was born in 1942, nice year, very good year for babies. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I just figured that like I listened to the Billy Cotton Band Show and I dug it, you know, so I naturally have all those kind of influences, you know, so I don't, um, I don't I, personally, you know, I've never got round to kind of thinking, well, that was a dumb period and now is a good period, you know, I, I like it all.
1: That was Paul McCartney being interviewed for Radio Luxembourg on May 12th, 1973, after a show that the broadcaster reluctantly admitted was rousing. Today we're going to be discussing the rock press of the 1970s and how they interpreted, characterized, wrote about, and labeled Paul McCartney.
3: And we're thrilled to welcome to the show Dr. Allison Bumstead, PhD of Cultural Studies Master of the Beatles, Popular Music, and Society, and author of Which Side Is This Ex-Beatle On? A Reassessment of the 1970s Rock Press's Framing, Interpretation, and Consideration of Paul McCartney and Wings. Woohoo! All right. Hello, Allison.
1: Welcome. I'm so glad that we finally got our schedules all hooked up so that you could come on the show. Oh yeah, me too. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed your episodes with Robert Rodriguez on something about the Beatles.
4: Oh, thank you. Yeah, those, yeah. those, were, those were a lot of fun. Those were a lot of fun. Good. Especially when it wasn't just my stuff, when it was just listening to Debbie and Carol and all their fantastic stories and love
3: of the Beatles. <sighs> your two-part episode critiquing the critics on something about the Beatles was very informative gave us a really good overview of the rock journalism of the 70s and how they wrote about Paul McCartney and Wings. It was a a real eye-opener.
4: Thank you so much. You know, it was really nice to lay out the individual reviews and share them with listeners. You know, often we do not get to share certain sources at length, so it was Mm. very, very cool to be able to. And you know, the majority of those discussed were used within the chapter to fully consider Wings, the press and and rock and pop. And I know we're we're going to consider a few today, but for those who want to deep dive in just the reviews themselves, you know, check out that episode. And of course the recent chapter, as you guys know, you know, my focus is on popular music in general, specifically teen fan magazines and the rock press. (laughs) However, (laughs) it was the reactions to Wings that really pushed me into researching uh, everything you know my whole academic career uh further and finding you know finding what i was meant to research was was, began here
3: the first thing that i want to talk about is the whole concept of authenticity Mm -hmm. this is something that has seemed to follow paul throughout his career i think it mostly seems to come from his eclectic taste and his ability to hop between genres which by 2022, many people now recognize as part of his rather extraordinary gift and Mm -hmm. something that's completely natural to him and sincere and therefore authentic. But as your research has shown, the idea that Paul and his music is inauthentic seems to stem in some ways from this whole idea of rock being authentic and Paul McCartney being pop versus rock. The very idea that it's, it's important to be rock may sound kind of stupid in 2022 <laughs> because unless rock is your favorite genre, which for most people it's not, then there's really nothing inherently superior about being rock. And although it's kind of hard to accurately gauge because we don't have proper statistics, or at least I don't have proper statistics for this. Um, I know that for millennials and Zoomers, rock is less important or popular than hip hop and pop. So it's safe to say that rock has been steadily losing its appeal and its relevance since the 90s. Would you agree with that, Alison?
4: Yeah, well, and that's, it's it's a complicated, conversation, the whole rock and pop, and I think I highlight that uh, in the chapter pretty well, but I do mention, and and you're absolutely right, I mean, hip-hop and rap sales have surpassed rock sales. It it is interesting, the connotations of rock versus pop, but they still exist, and they might Mm -hmm. not exist in the same conversation that they do exist in the 70s, but I do think there is still a divide on what it goes back to the concept of art or the concept of, yeah. of folk versus uh, commercial and whatnot, which rock is entrenched mm-hmm. in because it would develop with folk and pop and rock and roll and then become the genre of rock. So so yes, to, for the most extent, yes, I would definitely say that that is part of the conversation of authenticity there with the meaning embedded within the concept
1: of, of rock as it develops in the, in the mid to late sixties. Right, yeah, so that I think it's a highly relevant distinction between Lennon versus McCartney, or at least was presented as a highly relevant distinction in the early 70s rock Mm -hmm. press. But it definitely starting in the 90s, like Phoebe said, and moving forward, it's not going to be as relevant or even at all relevant moving forward, especially as McCartney moves into the next 40 years Mm -hmm. (laughs) producing Mm
2: -hmm.
1: pop, electronica, trance, classical, opera and sometimes rock. It can
4: still come across as very important, even if rock is not a popular genre, depending on how history is presented. So mm. if the person is presenting a historical narrative or, or a discourse that is heavily entrenched in rockism and this concept that, that rock is better than pop, and at least that's how it was seen then, then it does become something that becomes relevant.
1: Rockism.
4: Yes, <laughs> rockism. Oh, I like that. The, the word rockism definitely isn't new. Um, it starts in the, the, the 70s and early 80s. Yeah. So oh, cool. not work first, first. I've heard uh, Pete Wiley claim it, um, but that's not the first time it was used. It was Cry Scout. Matt Brennan cites it even earlier with other rock critics. Um, so that term has, has been around. I think it's coming around more as we focus on women and alternative histories and, and popular yeah. music journalism
1: for sure. And just the fact that that term makes sense kind of tells you something. Like, I, right. I can't think like popism, or hip hopism, just doesn't. That wouldn't be a thing because. Well, We're not yet.
3: I, w- I will <laughs> yet. say that. like, okay, so I do think that there is tension between uh, hip hop or rap and hip hop versus pop. Like, I, I do feel like hmm. that is mm-hmm. sort of a, a, a tension as well in terms of whether something is just frivolous or whether it's really talking about social issues. So mm. I don't think necessarily that that whole debate has evaporated. I just don't think that rock is leading the charge in terms of relevant <laughs> music anymore. No. So that's the one thing. And, and the second thing I definitely agree, Allison, with what you said, which is that even if this debate isn't highly relevant to music nowadays, or is let's just say less relevant nowadays, it's still super relevant to study of the Beatles in terms of like the impact that it had in setting the narrative of the Beatles as a group and McCartney yeah. as mm-hmm. a solo artist, even though the original yeah. criticisms may be obsolete, a critical analysis of those criticisms is super important. And the echoes
1: are still being felt.
3: Well, and I just wanted to add, like, if, if you want to think about the
4: echo of rockism, one, the monkeys still aren't in the hall of fame.
1: Wings still aren't in fame.
4: the hall of fame. And Dolly, this whole issue of Dolly, um, a lot of uh, people who are past critics and are very into music journalism, especially the early rock journalism, late sixties, late seventies, they, you know, they did, they thought it was ridiculous. And I actually think Dolly did the most rock and roll thing possible by saying, "Hey, I don't want to be part of it." Then, yeah. Um, <laughs> And I think Beatles fans are really guilty of it too. I think they're vil- very guilty. I know you've probably encountered some <laughs> there. Um, and I'm sure I've been guilty of it in my past too. The instinct to, you know, want to explain the importance of the Beatles who people who prefer Beyonce and Lady Gaga. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of Beetle fandom that's completely dismissed the uh, win- women surrounding the Beatles in the past, you know, of course that's changing, but it, there are elements that are still there. And and I think if you develop like, you know, I, I'm mid 30s. So I definitely fell into the trap of rockism in the beginning in the early 2000s. And mm. especially because I liked uh, stuff that, you know, wasn't popular anymore, but was, you know, legendary in the sense yeah. of you know, classic rock and really, you know mid to late sixties. So I do think it still does hold weight in certain areas, just definitely not in the writing
3: like it, not in the riding like it used to. Because the Beatles have a older fan base. I mean, they have lots of younger fans as well, but in terms of like a massive fan base of people online arguing and, and, and stuff like that, the Beatles <laughs> tend to have an older fan base, right? So they're kind of in having arguments that younger Beatles fans aren't having, at least from what I can tell. I don't see any younger fans having arguments about what's more rock versus pop. Yeah, that's probably. It's not even a thing. (laughs) This is not even a concern. Anyway, I feel like it's super important to take a look at it for the reasons that we've already stated and your work on in Allison is groundbreaking. And oh, thank you. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I think it is definitely paving the way for studying this as we move forward into Beatles scholarship and sort of away from this obsolete mentality. It's unfortunate that all the books that tend to come out about the Beatles or the individual Beatles still basically repeat this mainstream view without looking at what it means and how it's shaped our ideas moving forward you know there's no reflection on it it's just repeating mm-hmm. the same thing over and over again which is disappointing because no, there's, no there's, there's no analysis there's like hundreds of books about yeah. the beatles and i think one of the reasons why they all are seem exactly the same is that very few of them go outside <laughs> that box yes. so thank you for dragging <laughs> beatles studies into the modern era <laughs> oh, thank you
4: I- I you know there's a lot of uh, scholars up and coming and academics I know who are contributing to that field you know like with Holly Tesler and her um, her new Beatles Master's degree at Liverpool University and I know they have the the uh, Beatles Studies Journal that's going to drop eventually and then um, I know other other scholars who are focusing on on interesting concepts that I'm just I'm really excited about to continue reading and, and just see it grow, see that field grow for sure. I'm certainly not the first and I'm not the last. You know, unfortunately, scholarly work is not always easily accessible. You know, the cost or the access to specific journals is, is not always within reach. And um, however, to, to combat that, to see more scholarly work, um, interlibrary loans are will always obtain any type of work. So if you go to a, a public library that might not carry certain certain texts, you can always request it from them, uh, you know, do a simple Google book search in, in some fields that you like, and, and there are tons of wonderful scholars uh, considering various elements of the Beatles, like there's Katie Kappherch and Kenneth Womack, who consider the Beatles in literary aspects, Walter Everett, and, and multiple others, uh, as well as, as
3: well as Aaron Weber and Christine Feldman Barrett. Thanks, Aaron Torkelson Weber and Christine
1: Feldman Barrett. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes.
3: And Martin show. Let's not forget him either.
1: Yes, we are fans <laughs> of the Truant Boy.
0: There's a band on the, run. on
2: the run.
0: There's a band on the run.
3: So what makes rock authentic? Allison, you've studied this better than anybody else. You've <laughs> You've been deeply in the mind of the 1970s rock critic. It's a very complicated concept because
4: the concept of authenticity—I always say authentic to who or to whom. <laughs> right, you know, right. It's just—it's—it's it's complicated. There's a book called um, "Faking It." I think it's the quest for authenticity and, and popular music, and they do a really good job of highlighting uh, the concept of what what really is. Authentic. Uh, I think they they focus on the fact that Kurt Cobain calls Leadbelly a performer, but you know when we think of Leadbelly, who's presented mm-hmm. to us as very authentic. But to understand that Leadbelly actually wanted to play Jimmy Rogers songs would suggest that wait, hold on, he wants to do these covers. But mm. <laughs> <Like this, laughs> don't suggest that he's, you know, this uh, fascinating uh, other person that that wouldn't be in, in certain audiences usually. So this is. It's, it was really interesting to read through that and really consider what, what is authenticity. And when it comes to rock, rock was already an evolving concept. Um, so we have rock and roll, and then we have folk. And then when rock comes, uh, one of the arguments I, I make in an upcoming text is that you have this revolutionary rhetoric from the folk sound. Um, because we consider even early Bob Dylan rock, you'll hear people talk about it as as rock, not as folk, or even Joni Mitchell would be considered rock in in certain circles. And that's because of, and and I use the word revolutionary rhetoric a lot in this because I thought that was one of the best ways to explain it Um, in the sense that there is that protest folk ideology that's seeping into rock as uh, definitely by the mid 60s and into the late 60s. And I use the word Altamont style rhetoric mm-hmm. to really drive home that by you know, 69, 70, we start to see a very different turning point because that's the year Lester Bang starts to write as well for the Rolling Stone in the beginning. So you start to see a very different style of writing um, and then also a different way of talking about popular music and so it is a very complicated concept within a changing musical landscape that's evolving, you know, still today, the concept of mm-hmm. genre today is, yeah. is, is very complicated. Um, so it's, it's not a simple, <laughs> it's not a simple idea in authenticity for, for, even for Dylan, when Dylan gets heavily criticized or booed at for switching to electric. I mean, nowadays we don't see that as inauthentic because right. one of the arguments I'm making in an upcoming article is that, uh, you know, what if that's authentic to Dylan? Because that's what was, he was being drawn to. And right. That's what he wanted to do. So just because he's not doing something consistent in your mind, it becomes inauthentic. And that's one of the things I say is that like a- authenticity, these critics is not only um, uh, meaning, but it's consistency. Hmm. And so it's predictability, predictability, predictability. right? Yeah, I think that one of the best examples is an early review of Rod Stewart to a a, a late seventies one. I think Janet Maslin um, from Rolling Stones, I think she did the the late one, but in the beginning we have the most glamorous figure rolling by 71 for Rod Stewart and by 79, I think off the top of my head it's trendy and tragic especially with with the disco coming in and I know we uh you've mentioned that before not only does the person we're judging their authenticity have their own idea of what the authenticity is and what's authentic to them but then we have an idea of wait no but you're this this is the authentic this is the
3: way I saw you this is the way I learned about you how can you change yeah what what?" how do you judge somebody else's authenticity it's going to be based on what your definition of authenticity is yeah of course it's like well authentic to who I liked your comment that genre is more complicated nowadays, like be I, I'm assuming because it's more fluid nowadays,
1: right?
4: I, I suppose so, yeah, it's, it's, it, and I, I think feel it's like, constantly
1: evolving. Right. I feel like nowadays you would see criticism for something that fitted too neatly into one single yeah. genre. Mm-hmm. That's true. We want something that's a little tweaked. Just yeah. a little different. I a agree with that. Combining genres. Yeah. Yeah. Formulaic yeah. is now, you know. Frowned upon. Right, exactly. It's <laughs> just like upon. the mm-hmm. limits of your
3: creativity. And yeah. And also, I mean, yeah. not to be too deep or whatever, but um, you could see the same thing happening with our concept of race and our concept of sexuality and mm. gender as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah and, and a lot of people don't like it. <laughs> you know, like a yeah. lot of a lot of people like hard barriers and, and categorizations <laughs> for all that type of stuff and and people who people who don't conform to those you know are going to make people nervous that's true
4: which is crazy because of the idea that rock is supposed to be something that stands for something that's supposed to be meaningful But if you go away from it for a second, it's like, okay, well, you're not (laughs) what you've done. No, no,
3: no, 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 no. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So it seems very transparent from our standpoint, like from 2022, looking back, I mean, we have the hindsight of, you know, 40 years or I'm bad at math, 50 years. (laughs) So, you know, we're doing a little bit of uh, Monday morning quarterbacking here, but (laughs) it just comes across as gatekeeping. So some
4: of the things that I, I mentioned, I think I cite Simon Frith and a few others is that the idea that uh, a genre in general, it's it's often not about sound or or production. It, it, it can be, of course. I mean, if you listen to a, a reggae beat, you, you can recognize yeah. it or just <laughs> yeah. be, right? But there's also a social construct behind it, um, so. This is something that with the bangs Mm -hmm. review, the one from cream that I go into a little bit more detail because I feel like bangs, luster bangs is specifically very conflicted with this idea of Mm -hmm. wings. Very, very, very conflicted. So when we talk about genre in general, just social aesthetics around it is is something that heavily influences the way it's perceived. And just to kind of, jump off of that. I, I think just to solidify the concept of, of um, why this rockism, why rock journalism developed as it did is because, you know, rock in rock and roll in general, pop music at the time, because it's still used, the word pop is still used in journalism in the 60s to talk about rock or pop, you know, it, mm-hmm. it wasn't really separated. You start to see it in the, the, in the papers in general, definitely in the rock press, you start to see the word rock used more over pop when discussing certain bands like cream and Hendrix and and, and Beatles and whatnot. Um, so you, you start to see a shift here, but because it was questioned as legitimate, it it makes sense that this gatekeeping kind of existed, that they started to develop off of jazz journalism and and write as we're legitimizing this, we're saying it's art because other people are questioning it. However, it kind of, you know, the pendulum swung. It went, it went by the mid '70s, pretty extreme, pretty hard, um, with the way they discussed bands, very masculine and whatnot. And it became more seen as, you know, by men for men. Although there were a lot yeah. of women writers. Um,
3: Who bought into the whole thing?
4: It's not necessarily that a lot of women bought into the very masculine rock rhetoric. Actually, in, in a 76th issue of Crawdaddy in an article called, called Wings Across the Water, Barbara Sharon interviews Paul considering um, silly little love songs, specifically Wings at the Speed of Sound, and Paul refers to it as a shit-hot-rockin', and she she ends the article <laughs> saying shit-hot-rockin' indeed, and so... There was an appreciation of his work and it wasn't just just female writers in, in, in regards to Paul, but also we, ha- we do have rock writers like Lillian Roxon. we have rock writers, Ellen Willis, that's uh, considered by, uh, more closely by Devin Powers. And then of course, all the teen fan magazine, women writers who are so monumentally important to the story that didn't necessarily buy into this, this extremely rock, uh, male rock rhetoric.
3: So would you say that the label of rock as opposed to rock and roll or pop or whatever, um, if you're saying it came out in the late 60s, is this something that came from within the rock community like a label they gave for themselves? or is it something that you know Time magazine or whoever started to label uh, sort of more countercultural, uh, psychedelic sounding, pink floyd or soft machine or things that sounded a little um not mainstream i
4: would say to the best of you know my knowledge is that by the mid-60s and as it was evolving into the late 60s you, you definitely see it in journalism in the rock journalism specifically in the smaller papers um and then also rolling stone and and in, and in some teen fan magazines as well. It's not easy to pinpoint. In an upcoming publication, I actually address when rock becomes a solid term for designated popular music of the late 1960s in a, in a very specific way. However, here, what I will say is the word pop is used in the press and teen fan magazines interchangeably with rock until the late 1960s. Now, this is not in every case. You're not mm-hmm. going to call, refer to Leslie Gore as rock, but just when we talk about rock, it's also called pop. Um, this is highlighted in the chapter um, and that these are, what, what's really important is that there are loosely defined ideas and principles that, are, that the critics define through the writing. So these would be referred to as the aesthetics. And as as these aesthetics or rock aesthetics become more solidified in rock writing, the word rock is used over pop. And this is by the late 60s and into the, into the 70s. So when music is seen as moving, original, meaningful, it's, it's used over pop. And so pop, as evident in this research, mm-hmm. is uh, used to insult Um, something that was created or refers to something that was created for elevator rides or something that's mass produced (laughs) or really performed rather than composed Mm. even though rock is mass produced in a similar manner and and the terms get very muddy in the 70s but that goes once again back to that evolving musical landscape and when you know fans and writers and, and musicians as they began to solidify more into this um out of this communal side of it like when you see with monterey pop more into college tours at first and then the stadiums later you start to see it more as rock you know
3: yeah for sure so it was probably more something that was self-selected and do you think that is specifically because of a countercultural bent like a um uh, ideals versus aesthetics
4: Well, here we have to consider the ideal aesthetics critics define in rock. As this landscape is is evolving, the concepts of meaning is as well. And and already said that, you know, rock becomes a word with the evolving writing and discussion around the uh, burgeoning genre. Um, So in this chapter, I define rock critics' loose principles as uh, something authentic, meaningful, consistent. And that can mean, constantly changing as we start to talk about the Beatles and otherness and and the rhetoric rises with jazz criticisms and with the counterculture but it's more than just the counterculture especially by the mid-70s as rock you know itself heavily once again evolved from 65 to 75. Mm. To sound rock Mm -hmm. and to be rock are are not necessarily the same thing. Mm. And this is where the genre is attached to the social construct, right? Cause you know, that's so rock and roll versus, oh, that's clearly a rock beat. That's clearly a rock band. You know, you can tell based on the way they play the guitar the sound here, the chord progressions, whatever, this is rock versus to be rock and roll. Now you can be both. Yeah. Or you can be one, mm-hmm. it, just, it, it depends also what era you are too, you know? Um, Is KISS seen as this revolutionary meaning band? No, but as Lester Bang says, at least they're a war toy. They're like heavy, so they're rock, but they're Mm -hmm. not rock. (laughs) So this is where, this is is why it was so complicated because it's not as black and white as just production and sound. And and that's a big thing in the reviews is they love the production. They compliment McCartney and Wings for, for what they're doing in that realm, but then I opened the paper with Lester Bangs' quote from the new paper in 1975 when he talks about "Ban on the Run, and I think it sums up the entire concept. "Ban on the Run was, in its rather vapid way, a masterful album.
1: It either has to be a protest song or something that someone could elevate as being very poetic or it can be not that at all as long as it sounds heavy and ideally is about men wanting to fuck women. Like that's sort of, you can have the most puerile, you know, to use one of their favorite words, lyrics, (laughs) in the world, but as long as it sounds hard and it's about some guy's dick, then it's meaningful enough.
4: (laughs) Well, and, and a lot of these writers were, you know, of the counterculture they grew up with the Beatles, right? They saw the Beatles evolve and progress. And, and that change was okay because it went in the direction that they assigned they the Beatles as part of the counterculture, right? And I say assigned because, you know, the Beatles weren't at Monterey Pop, you know, they, they weren't part of that communal hippie type thing. I mean, they, they appeared that way with India and whatnot. And then all you need is love, of course, but I think the Beatles were assigned as representatives of this era and at this time, you know, for, and for multiple reasons. And I understand why, but we went back to the beginning of the the concept is that this is also complicated because it's wings. So, or Paul McCartney. And so there's a lot of other issues beyond genre. Yeah. And so using, using McCartney as an example himself was like, okay, (laughs) there's a lot going on. It just, you know, it isn't, you know, just discussing Van Halen or, or the way they
1: were right, perceived, right, right, which right.
3: is interesting in itself. But, but okay. So this is, this is what I'm kind of grappling with. Um McCarty, notwithstanding, because as you said, he, there's baggage with him because of the Beatles, but mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out like, w- like who are the standard bearers of rock in this early era? Because I would assume that it would be, you know, Led Zeppelin, the Stones, Black mm-hmm. Sabbath, none of whom do I think of as revolutionary counterculture or even i mean they're the most mainstream band like they stand for all the traditional male bullshit mm, like I, and, my thumb. <laughs> well with all of with basically everything I, and i mean i like all of them you know they do oh, rock yeah. I, I i love them i'm not saying that as a criticism even i'm just saying i'm not exactly sure why they get the rock I don't understand what's authentic about them versus, you know, whoever, the Carpenters.
4: You know, what's funny is actually Lester Bangs, just to bring him back in, because he's probably one of the most um, interesting of the writers. He, he has quite a bit of fame for, you know, his uh, wearing his heart on his sleeves in his, uh, in his articles, definitely as a fan. I read one of the Carpenters' reviews, and, and he gives
3: them a good review. But you expect out of the carpenters. You expect what you're getting out of the carpenters. Kind of because like they stayed in their lane and they were pomp and they were good at the as, what they did. At least that's what I got away took away from. It.
4: Yeah, and, and Karen could you know she does a
3: hell a of a good singer, drummer,
4: yeah. and a great singer. They were music musical, you know, and writing their own music. And I, that's another thing. Do you write your own music?
1: This whole idea of artists comporting with your expectations is so strange to me because yeah. that has everything to do with the critic. And nothing to do with the artist
4: no that's true but have you like, ever been disappointed by uh, any kind of artist of any sort not just music for not or for what they've done or doing
1: oh that's a really good question
3: i mean i guess disappointed in the artist or disappointed in the product well
4: i i guess if it's their product do you do you put that on the artist is it If they're creating it, it's something that they're doing. Do you become disappointed in the product or in them?
3: I mean, I'm not really invested in the artists at that level. (laughs) Any artist,
1: (laughs) I mean, maybe Pomakarni, I guess, but yeah, I can't. You know, I can't say that I that I always live up to this. But I feel like if something of a different genre, if something, if I'm presented with something that I didn't expect. I'm able to pivot and be like, oh, okay, so now we're on this playground. Now I can now I can evaluate it according to that structure. Like, I don't just stop it. I didn't expect this and then throw a fit about it and say, well, it's, <laughs> it's a yeah. failure because it doesn't fit what I personally was expecting. Mm. I and mean, that people- seems to be beyond a lot of these critics
3: well they got so upset about dylan i don't
1: under i don't understand not wanting not wanting to be surprised well i suppose it depends on the surprise
4: (laughs) 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 so uh but yeah you're right with going back to dylan i mean they they were upset with dylan because it's right it was an in folk one in their mind whether or not it, it was or not but i mean even I, you know, I have been disappointed in albums and whatnot from certain artists, but it didn't make me, I might not have bought their new albums or not enjoyed it or had anything great to say. I mean, I don't, I don't write criticism myself. I I try to stay as partial as I can in that way because I focus so much on it. Why is it so
1: personal? Because they
4: grew up with them and they're like, you, you were it. What what are you
3: doing?
1: You owe me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
3: um Daphne found a really fascinating review (laughs) and Allison since you're the expert you might be familiar with this already you probably are but I'd love to have Daphne read it and then talk to you about it on the other side
1: yeah okay so Jim Miller in 1975 wrote in his Rolling Stone review of Led Zeppelin's physical graffiti there are Also hints of Bo Diddley in Custard Pie, Burt Bacharach in Down by the Seaside, and Cool in the Gang in Trampled Underfoot. If nothing else, physical graffiti is a tour de force. On such classics as Whole Lotta Love, Page's production set new standards for recording hard rock. Physical graffiti will likely also disappoint those who prefer their rock laced with lyrical significance. Led Zeppelin no more articulates a worldview than Little Richard or Cream did. Yet, while Zeppelin's stature as cultural spokesman can be questioned, their standing as rock musicians cannot. Mm. Custard pie and whole lot of love are definitely examples of, you know, (laughs) not particularly meaningful or finely tuned lyrics.
4: I think that that really does kind of bring home the way that they talk about McCartney though. I mean, this is obviously a much nicer review than what McCartney gets, but it, it focuses on those concepts, you know, that they are fantastic rock musicians. And this is something that can probably move you, especially if you're moved by instrumental rock. And this also, (laughs) this is another thing that we have to touch on is that meaning is made by a listener that, the artist may not have intended. Right. And so if you don't find meaning in some of the poppy sounds that come from wings, from some of those songs like bluebird or whatnot, you, you might just, you know, wash it off as, as meaningless. But if Mm. you hear a whole lot of love and it just sparks something in you, well, you don't really need (laughs) lyrics to find (laughs) meaning within that and I mean, when I listen to Led Zeppelin, I could close my eyes and get lost. I mean, just in a world of my own and meaning and just raw power. And see, hmm, this is like again, this is this is why it's such a complicated conversation. And McCartney's a perfect example. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's
3: definitely.
4: definitely subjective, absolutely.
3: But I found it interesting in that review. I mean, they're unequivocal. They're like, don't get it twisted. Led Zeppelin rocks. You know, yeah. they're f- hardcore fucking balls out, rock and roll, period, end of story. Um, even though, yeah, their lyrics are stupid. But, and, and the standard bearer in this review is Little Richard. I think there are really two two important things to point out
4: in that review. And, and thank you for bringing that review out. One, they refer to um, a lot of black musicians here. Mm-hmm. We know uh, a lot of these bands, uh, from the Stones to Led Zeppelin, you know, they were, uh, let's use the word copying and be nice here, is they, they were yep. using a lot of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, black music and, and black music is usually seen, at least rock and roll, as authentic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then also by 75, I mean, uh, Vietnam War is uh, tailing off and uh, the counterculture is dying and i say that because i love once again going back to the lester banks cream review i think he says exactly i mean i know the counterculture is dead as davy crockett hats <laughs> like he he knows that that's going away that this is this is something that's changing this is what got him excited this is what got him in the music but it what he sees as what got rock to, to where it was is the counterculture, or at least revolutionary rhetoric that's associated with the counterculture. And so it is interesting to think about that time period. Once again, we go back to that evolving musical landscape. Music is, you know, sounding very different by 75. And so, I mean, Paul McCartney is aging, his music is changing, what he's doing is different. John Lennon, even if you don't love everything he's done or you don't think it's as rock and roll as it's being claimed to be, was well loved by the editor of Rolling Stone. Beyond Winter, and I make a point of this, is that he, you know, lifted John up as this artist, as this, what did they say? Uh, He was a, a glad fly just floating around from, you know, artistic scenes when, you know, Paul was the one doing the avant-garde stuff first. And and what's, what's most interesting to me is how much Paul was trying at this time. He wasn't just yeah. producing. He was experimenting and yes. trying to do interesting things. And another really important thing is when you listen to Uncle Albert, and, and living in England it has a very different cultural meaning to me than it did when I didn't, right? Just it's quintessentially English, that song. Yeah. And it's just fascinating. Every time I hear it, I just, I, I, I love that song, by the way, I just absolutely <laughs> love that song. But it just, to me, it's, it's a brilliantly put together and, and you know, produced song and, and other ones on top of that. But when I hear that, I think, wow, well, that's, that's Paul McCartney for sure, for sure. But absolutely. if that would have been on a Beatles record, I think it would have been okay with them we've been yeah with them yeah yeah yeah. they don't specifically call out that song but i mean when john landau reviews ram i mean it's
3: it's a
1: joke
4: (laughs) oh it's it's an it's pretty pretty rough um let's see the exact words are so inconsequential
3: (laughs) yeah you can't even hate it
4: yeah it's just it doesn't make a dent in our our our, you know, our understanding of the world and our our meaning and any of that.
3: That is poetry. You couldn't make that up. You could like, if you you (laughs) pick any album from the solo Beatles canon, Ram is the album that gets the the biggest reevaluation moving forward. And that would probably be selected as the most influential of every single album that any of the post Beatles, -Beatles ex-Beatles ever made.
4: Here's the exact quote. It's so incredibly inconsequential and so monumentally
3: irrelevant. <laughs> it's like it's like saying said, Paul McCartney is not even yeah. pretty. I don't even think he's good looking and I don't think about his <laughs> eyes at all. His mouth isn't even kissable. So I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, calm down, Landa.
4: <laughs> and I and you know, the, here's, here's the hardest thing writing this. I love reading rock criticism. I wanted to be a rock critic. I wanted to go back in the seventies. I love these guys. I do. I, and they are, I do find them very valuable at this time because they do They do help reflects. us understand. Yeah, they do. They, it, yes, it does help us understand why McCartney was looked at this way. Because, and, and, and I've, yes. I've told the story before, you know, when I decided to write this, it's because I was reading all these reviews, you know, online in twenty. 13 about when they re-released Rock Show, the, the movie I went and saw at the Odeon in Liverpool, and and oh. um I was like, this is great. Yeah. I bet the critics didn't think so. wonder <laughs> what they said? And so I went on, and then it just it just percolated and boom, done. <laughs> I mean, but I've, i I love rock criticism or rock journalism, popular music journalism, anything, specifically teen fan magazines. That's my that's my favorite.
3: I think the role of the rock critic was very, very different than it is now. I mean, nowadays we have Yelp and like, you know, like Google review, like everybody's a (laughs) critic now.
4: Yeah. Well, and I suppose, you know, these people were on the scene, you know, so they, they were seen as part of it. You know, they were in their interviewing. They were they were getting the press release records. They were the ones talking to the rock stars. They were the ones legitimizing popular music at the time. It's a benefit to everybody. To take it seriously, it means that, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to look at Mick Jagger or Lennon or, or whoever, Joni Mitchell or whatever, as, as an artist, as someone of value, not just a, you know, a, a pop performer that has, you know, handed music, and it happens to be a good entertainer. And I also think that if you're in, I don't know, Paris, Texas, to give you an example of a small town, Mm -hmm. um, or just in, you know, in the middle of nowhere, or even in a big town, if you're way far away from the scene, and your friends don't like what you like, turning to these magazines, and reading these and disagreeing and writing in, that's an activity. That's something that builds community sure. so these rock critics had a fan base not only a fan base but they had people who hated them and loved to hate them and want to <laughs> write with them even oh, though yeah, yeah. Gow, the only time he wrote for rolling stone as far as i can remember and i could be wrong and if a rock critic is listening i'm gonna get lampooned for it but um i read him in a um letter to the editor criticizing something i can't remember exactly what um, and I was like, oh, there he is, because, you know, he's a village voice writer, and among other things. But that's where you start to, you know, you, you see these people going back and forth. And even Lester Bangs was a shoe salesman who, who liked to write and thought, I could do this better. Yeah. You know, he wasn't a qualified journalist, whatever qualified means at the time. And this is how I got into it, because I liked reading about it. You know, when I was younger, I described Rolling Stone, even though there wasn't very much music, I was really into it uh everything I liked was old so I was getting uncut anyways uh to read about it so how relevant I am in that area you know I'm trying to be more relevant and and interested in modern pop um and rock and whatnot hip-hop and 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 rap uh but modern music we'll just say
3: just popular music in general yeah and I don't mean to dump on the whole Profession, I, I definitely understand the value of it. And before, you know, CMJ and Pitchfork and that type of stuff, I read Rolling Stone when I was young and, and getting into the Beatles and stuff like that as well. I could get, you know, back copies at the library for a quarter. And so, you know, I bought tons of them. I read through mm-hmm. them and I loved reading all the, the reviews along with like trouser press and stuff like that yeah. like I absolutely get what you're talking about and I understand it was part of the subculture and you know way to be part of a community and a way to express your love for music and all that sort of stuff and I, there's nothing wrong with that and I'm not just like complaining because they gave an course, artist I yeah. like bad reviews um <laughs> you know a lot of them read though as we're gonna tell you what you're supposed to like I, there's definitely a a, a oh, real sure. vibe of like this is not okay to like and this is stupid for this reason um yeah a lot more of that tone than there is from what i can remember in the um ensuing oh decades. sure <laughs> well i think it um, was it
4: jim Jim regattis was or he claims to have been removed from the rolling stone because he panned one of Hootie and the Bullfish's albums That they were going to be on the cover of so i I think i actually in my chapter talking about that you know the press can't can't do that i mean the rolling stone can't do that necessarily anymore because uh it it it's not to their best interest whereas back in the day you wanted to be in the rolling Mm, stone yeah by the mid-70s you have a lot of these reviews aren't just coming from rolling stone anymore or crawdaddy or whatever Crawdaddy was revived after paul williams left and whatnot but they um they're coming from Uh, the new york times time boston globe washington post you know so it had seeped to the mainstream and you know rolling stone became you know mainstream to to an extent or is now to an extent you know so seeped into the mainstream papers as well right and then it's like you're getting it from all sides (laughs) (laughs) now
3: talk about Mendelssohn's review of wildlife (laughs) he said it is not fine revolutionary or religious art but rather it's content to make straightforward pop music which is really wild to me to hear wildlife described as a straightforward pop album I don't know I don't know when the last time you heard wildlife is but calling wildlife and mumbo straightforward pop is (laughs) really really out there
4: i think he even says you know i I don't expect anything uh or he says it's you know melodically charming it's unpretentious and it's executed pop music and should be taken and left on that
3: basis alone okay rather than just saying like what wildlife is a great album how how does he fail to notice that wildlife is about environmental disaster it's not even highly cloaked. We're breathing a lot of political nonsense in the air. You're making it hard for people who live in there. You're moving so fast, but baby, you know, not where. I mean, if that's not about technology, capitalism, you know, deforestation, whatever, then I don't know what, how, like, how is it? Is it possible? Like, can you make a good faith argument that this rock critic literally cannot understand the words being sung? Or is this like a willful refusal?
4: I would say that it's more the latter in the sense that it is definitely a, I wouldn't call it a willful refusal. I I think we are once again, we're at an interesting time period, right? So this is our, our first technical Wings album. Uh, We've already had McCartney and Ram and and then we have Wildlife. And and Wildlife, when it was released, I mean, it didn't say anything on the record, on the front of the record. They had to put a sticker on it that said Wings Wildlife on it. (laughs) This is right at the breakup of the Beatles again. You know, Rolling Stone isn't going to publish something that is going to herald, not at this time, by 74 you get something different with Landau, and, and, and Landau has a little bit more clout at this time than Mendelssohn does anyways. I don't think it's that, I think it's, it's listening to the sound and, and it's listening to the production of it, and then it's also, it doesn't have that rock sound, but it also doesn't quite sound folky, and it, at least in my opinion, and it also, I mean in some cases it does, But it also doesn't sound, or it also um, is on that, just the tail end of, you know, the Beatles breaking up and hopefully they'll get back together. And John's doing this and John's so fascinating. He's doing art and he's saying all these things with Yoko. And so when you listen to wildlife, I think there's also social stuff. So yes, I think you're right in both ways. I think it's both things. I I take back what I said, I think it's both. I think that maybe they think, okay, you're just writing this, that, and next thing it's, it doesn't really have any
3: teeth to it. Is it just their preconceptions or that they've assumed that, A, that the only social issues in the world are the Vietnam War?
4: What I could say is that this is also the period in time where rock journalism is really ramping up in that style of writing, that new journalist style. Um, like I said, Lester Bangs comes in in 69. I always mark that because I think that's an important date for... Rock writing. The way he sounds, the way he's writing, it's very intense, it's very emotional, it's very hard on your sleeve. Rock writing in general is moving in that direction. And it could be a matter, it could be, because I don't like to have hard yeses because you know I'm not yeah, yeah, there sure. and I'm not Mendelssohn and I, you know, but I do I would say that there is probably an element of that in there too, is that if you write this really captivating review that pans it. It also adds to your clout sure. as
3: a critic, uh-huh. and, I, and I
4: don't want to say that. I don't want to say that Mendelssohn completely it's just scoring
3: did points. that. Yeah.
4: yeah, I don't. I don't want to say that. But that style and that rhetoric at the time was also part of it. So it, once again, it gets complicated. It gets. <laughs> it gets in this complicated situation. Now I know Mendelssohn is still alive, um, so I'm sure if he hears this, he he will have a lot to say about it, and he might still agree with his review. And some people do. I've talked to some people that are like, no, 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 wildlife, mm um, And so there are people who still do agree with the sentiment of Mendelssohn's review. And he doesn't hate McCartney. You can tell he doesn't hate McCartney because he even says, you know, until McCartney like harnesses what he used to have, look elsewhere for now.
3: Yeah. yeah. You know, but it's he's like- content to
4: make this pop.
3: Yeah. But it's factually inaccurate. I mean, I don't understand what is poppy like what's pop about wildlife and mumbo and bit and this uh, all like all the weirdness of what like I, I 100% get if it's not to your taste yeah but it's wildly mischaracterized as straightforward pop
4: <laughs> yeah i i agree but i think this is another time where the these these concepts are still evolving i think if you would have released wildlife at a different time it even in the 70s, I think it might have had a different reception. And maybe he mm. just went too far off the off, uh, you know, out of the rock spectrum for them to understand it. But that oh, that goes to another point is that, you know, McCartney is still rock in their eyes. He's still a beetle. So how do you talk about something he's done if it's not something that you would have normally talked about? I'm sorry, repeat that? Well, like as a critic, maybe you wouldn't have reviewed wildlife. Maybe that's not something that you would have been interested in if it was a, a new artist. If you were a straight rock critic, like hard rock critic, but because Paul McCartney's a Beatle, oh,
3: that that album is given to you, and you're like, "What is this? Is, is this even a, a rock? I'm a yeah,
4: rock is, critic." Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, what 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 is? What how do we how do we talk about? How do we
1: classify <laughs> anything? This? Like, anything that's not rock is straightforward pop. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like. <laughs> it, it's, Two genres of music. Yes,
3: <laughs> well, they didn't they, Rock and not rock. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, they didn't know how to handle
3: it, right? And if it's not didn't. rock,
1: we can use whatever descriptors we want. Whatever. <laughs> if it's not rock, we can say anything about it. I mean, it I doesn't always, even
4: matter to it characterize
1: <laughs> it properly.
4: Well, and I think the only reason they review it is because it's Paul McCartney. I don't think they would have yeah. re- reviewed that record. You know, sure. one of the re- one, some of the record reviews that are hard to find is on Ringo, right? So there's not nearly as many record reviews as there could be on Ringo, on his records, and this is something I'm working on. So I think that's
3: that's important okay. too. So so to are you saying hey, these these magazines hey. tended to only review albums that they deemed important and relevant enough to to garner these types of serious reviews? Mm, so, I would
4: a- say that they reviewed individuals or musicians or musical groups that they okay, felt okay, important
3: okay. enough to garner. So, reviews, so not specifically they, albums. So they would do any Bob Dylan album. Every Bob Dylan album is getting a review, even if it's to pan I, it. I, you know, I imagine every Bob Dylan album is reviewed in Rolling
4: Stone. Okay. I don't know for sure. I can't, I can't say that for sure.
1: Allison, let me ask you just real quick. Yeah. Uh, are you? You probably are. Are you familiar with Lester Bangs' review of a um, James Taylor album, where he fantasizes about like disemboweling him with a bottle? What? Yeah, yeah this is what I'm saying. The like, Bangs is Bangs is all over when he oh just tears he's...
4: apart Lou Reed. Crazy. He is crazy, but he's the best. he's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I could not <laughs> believe what I was reading. Just... This is this is this is why I I, I
4: pinpointed a few times because it changes with him.
3: Wow, our oh, criticism
4: changes with him because he is so okay. I, I use the word flamboyant because I can't think of a better word in that sense. Yes, yeah. but he's definitely. very hard. Like he he's he lo- he's in love with rock. Yeah 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 yeah. He means it. He loves it. it. He's he definitely means heartfelt. It. And I think. Yeah. I think that cream review of wings <laughs> is. Tell ultimate. it to the judge, bangs.
3: You <laughs> <laughs> a restraining order.
4: Well, you should have seen when Lou Reed disappointed him because he worshiped Lou Reed. Oh, my God. I mean, the review he wrote later on about him was just tearing them apart. And the same with MC5. He panned MC5, but he came back and he said, I was wrong. And so, you know, he ref- he constantly is reflecting.
3: And that's what I love about that Cream article is- Right, know, and he's and like, it- I don't understand. Paul McCartney rocked. Why, if you can rock, would you not rock all the time?
1: Maybe it means that you never actually did rock. Just <laughs> that's the other thing that, that I feel a lot that, that Paul gets, like that his lesser work like cancels out. Yeah, that's, yes. that's <laughs> great yeah.
4: stuff. You can't be the best all the time. Yeah. But when you're the but Beatles I mean, and you are, then how can you
3: ever live up to what you've already done?
1: Yeah.
3: Well, you've got four people contributing and you're, exactly. well, you're, you're editing it down to one album. <laughs> so <Exactly>. yeah.
4: <laughs> and that's one of the points I make is that when you compare Wings or later Paul McCartney Wings or then Wings, you know, whichever one you want to call them, um, and I had trouble with that because, you know, I didn't want, I was trying not to be the guy who was separating Paul McCartney, but because they do, it was almost impossible not to, um, but mm-hmm. you, comparing, not only are they compared to each other solo wise, but then they're compared to a collaborative prior effort where right. their lives
3: were very different. And, and so we get the time
1: different. The, the, the times, times were different. different.
3: They were young men as well. They were yeah. much different animals,
4: and they, they were, were out different. and
3: on the scene and not. Yes.
4: Seriously, married most of them at the time, and I know they were some of them
3: were married, but you know what I mean. And uh, yeah, they weren't dads. Oh, but wait, some of them were dads. But yes, yes, yeah, some of them were. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
4: but by see, and that's ooh, that's another thing, you know, uh, Linda. Linda even though she was a rock photographer in her own right it's Mick Jagger right who says you know I wouldn't have taken my old lady on the tour not right. not to misquote him but he said something on the lines of that like that yeah. that's a huge issue and that cover of life that I point out in the article um uh the November 7th one that that shows them on holiday in Scotland you know they just look like a you know happy family out in <laughs> on Scotland and it, it, it's
3: it, rock that, and roll. is
4: that does that seem rock and roll no not to their standards not not to their aesthetics right, right, right. and and just for the listeners who are like what do you mean by aesthetics because you know typically that can refer to to f- physical features and, and 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 visuals but just these principles that these rock critics have defined well, that they think, in that the they- writing
1: that they think are principles, that they think that are they principles. treat right, right. like principles, yeah. but that are really just aesthetic preferences. Thank it's you. Yeah, that, that,
3: that's yeah. true. But I think, that, that, but that are becoming increasingly outdated and outmoded. Yeah. Like, oh, I mean, yeah. One of the big lines on Paul McCartney's Ram album is, "Don't let them tell you what you want to be." Don't let them tell you what
1: you want to be.
4: And going back to that idea that, you know, when this rock rhetoric was defending the legitimacy of, of rock as an art form, or as, a, as a, a music that should be taken seriously, that word serious is very important. Um, you know, at the time it made sense, once again, I, I know I'm repeating myself, but to make the point nowadays to be a rockist or, or whatever is a Beatlesist sister or, or whatever, in that sense <laughs> of what I know is better, I know more than you, I yeah. am part of it, I'm intense. Uh, this record's good because of this. And if you don't understand that, well, then you don't know music type attitude is now seen as like, and I don't mean it in, mm-hmm. a, in the political mm-hmm. sense, but I mean it in the sense that it, it seems like a conservative point of view that is not- Progressive. In the end. Yes, it's not progressive. Right. It's not rock in the end. It's yeah. it's It goes back to that gatekeeping. Mm-hmm. And there there are some people who will stu, still do that. You, I'm sure you have conversations with people who are like, no, you're wrong. This is good because of this. And if you don't think so, then you're wrong.
3: I mean, I don't see yeah. it amongst people that I know in real life, but I see it online.
4: Well, I I see it in the younger fans too. Um, especially like I, I've taught high school well, I taught high school for a long time. Mm-hmm. And um they um, you know, some kids who are really into their music too felt felt that way about whatever it was mm. that they were into. And the ones that were getting into this, like, I know everything about the Beatles 14 <laughs> yeah, awesome. Right. I was like, "Yeah, hey, I know that guy. I know that person." <laughs> uh, living here, uh, they, uh, they, they are developing that. They're acting like these critics, you know, weren't, mm. in, and without the without the clout behind them to to with, with nothing to stand on.
3: Okay, so let, if we could just for a little bit, let's talk a little bit more about gatekeeping. In rock and, okay. and rockism. Um, because moving forward, we do see rock begin to splinter slightly into subgenres, right? Because in the mm-hmm. 70s there's prog rock or math rock, I guess people call it now, there's country rock, there's metal and punk rock. And then in the 80s, there's alternative rock and college rock. So there are different types of rock, but um I still think of those as sort of now and maybe then all under just the umbrella of rock. I don't really see the same type of gatekeeping in pop music. Although there are also subgenres of of pop, there's whatever, K-pop or electro pop dance or whatever. Um those labels seem to exist more just for specificity like if you're setting up a spotify playlist and you're looking for mm-hmm. the very specific type of stuff that you want to hear rather than a deliberate segregation of different subgenres that aren't good enough to hang out with these other pop subgenres you know it seems <laughs> on its face that pop is more inclusive than rock mm-hmm. if it's popular music then you know like by definition it's gonna be that way, especially in the it early feels 70s. Too wide. Exactly. Yeah. That's the whole you know yeah. definition of what it is. And it seems to me in the early 70s, I don't know if you feel this way, Allison, but it it feels like rock is frantically closing ranks, really <laughs> worried about who's gonna be rock and who's not, and setting these tight, sometimes arbitrary parameters, like we talked about before. To me, it seems more about like purity and exclusivity rather than authenticity, because it doesn't really seem to be based in lived experience. Like when I think of authenticity, like blues or country from the early days, um, that was more about lived experience. This seems more like about not alienating the straight, mostly white male audience. And to me, it seems like that is way more important than expanding the meaning of rock and the definition of rock, which seems kind of counterintuitive. But then again, maybe not because <laughs> I guess the appeal of that would be creating something exclusive to give people a sense of superiority. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, like if if I'm looking at this from Paul McCartney's point of view, if pop is more inclusive and it's therefore gonna allow for more rule breaking, more experimentation. I mean, as long as it's anything that's melodic and catchy, let's say catchy, it's probably a good word for, for pop, right? As long as it's catchy, it's gonna be considered pop, but I can do all kinds of different things, break all kinds of rules. Of course, it's gonna be more appealing to him. Why would he even be interested in being rock? Okay, so John Landau called McCartney's work in the Beatles always schizoid. Yes, yes, he did. So I think many critics now would argue that that is that like specifically McCartney's eclecticism is what elevates the Beatles beyond all the other rock bands or pop bands and gives them some of its universal and timeless appeal, right? Because the Beatles aren't mm-hmm. the big deal that they are because they rock hard, you know what I mean, <laughs>
1: right? Yeah. Yeah.
3: Part of their timelessness is that they brought in all kinds of different elements and that they were inclusive,
1: yeah, that they and, played and granny music. Like granny music is part of the <laughs> Beatles ethos. Well, and that's what they grew up with too, I, I, you know. I, yes, and so in that sense, it's very authentic. E- exactly,
4: and, and it's very authentic to them. And like I said, I, I think M- what McCartney does a lot of the time is just so, you know, quintessentially English that bringing that into it, not just the, the English who just fell in love with the American rock and roll and, and began their own, you know, in their own sense, um, and I think that's that's brilliant. It's it's it does definitely the word I was looking for earlier is transcends genre. In that case, the Beatles do. I mean, it would be very hard to argue that they don't transcend genres. But genres yeah. also were developing at the time they were too, in the sense that we know them as modern genres. Another thing, and I wanted to add back to the comment that you made before that, and it kind of goes in with this, is that you know, as critics. Uh, as humans, we love to catalog things. We love to categorize yeah, things. that's true. <laughs> you know, um, Jane Feuer talks about this in her article on, on genre in, in movies. It's that, you know, it's not the same yeah. as, as, as typology. We're categorizing things like this species is connected to this species because of this. You know, there's no negative connotation there. Right. But there is negative connotation around art. what is and isn't socially acceptable in art. Yeah. Yes. Mm. And it comes back, I think it constantly circles back. And you know, it's funny as I, I reread the, the chapter today, specifically Landau says, um, his work was always schizoid. And um, he calls his other side from the rockers to schmaltz. And mm. the schmaltz is the pop end of it. And then it goes back to that concept well yeah we all know what good pop is and and these reviews wouldn't have been the same in the mid-60s because pop wasn't a dirty word yeah exactly
2: right. yeah. and i think
4: that's this is where it gets confusing and they didn't review the beatles in the mid-60s like they they did by the late late 60s because that kind of rock writing didn't exist for one of the uh, music magazines i believe it's alan evans he reviewed sergeant pepper in England and, and all he does is describe it and he actually mixes up the voices who, who's singing what right. he doesn't refer to the right people and
3: um yeah he's like John that, sings great on She's Leaving Home or something like that right yeah yeah you know exactly what I'm talking, you know what yes. I'm talking about yes. okay exactly
4: and I think it was reprinted in Q several years ago and anyways and so yeah th- this this idea didn't exist
3: where it was things were being legitimate legitimized
1: legitimized, legitimized. although <laughs> although
3: it kind of I get so let me push back for a second because the Beatles were being legitimized even as early as ailing in cadences I mean I guess mm. that was in more of a um more as writers of like pop standards like quality pop music on the level of mm-hmm. Cole Porter or Gershwin or yeah or sure what have you um but they were definitely being taken seriously as composers very early on yes yes and I don't disagree with I don't disagree with that at all. Um, I guess that's but, kind of tangential to the rock thing though or irrelevant yeah. that's not really what we're talking about. Well, no,
4: but no, you you're right though. They they are they are being taken seriously in their popularity, in their longevity and as they're going as they're going forth and continuing to just create fascinating things, but does everyone find them interesting? Did the did the reviewer find Good Morning Good Morning? yeah fascinating he just discusses the animals he's like oh this happens and this happened okay <laughs> you know it wasn't it wasn't you know it wasn't like the jazz reviews that you were finding in downbeat that were actually mm. heavy and and discussing all kinds of social and class and and meaning within jazz and uh, and that, that like leonard feather um is it leroy jones that or even um Barbara Gardner or any of the the, the, the writers from Downbeat at the, in the late I'd say in the fifties into the early sixties and, and and by the late sixties when Downbeat's not, doesn't have as much attention, but they completely dismissed rock. Uh, Matt Brennan's "When Genres Collide" uh, really highlights that um, that you know they they just tore apart the Beatles and uh, I, you know Buddy Rich has a, an article in there that I find fun reading talking about rock itself. Just, you know, being a fad and and uninteresting and and whatnot. So the jazz critics, for jazz to be taken seriously, you know, for multiple reasons, race, class issues within jazz as well. Now they've gone around and, you know, they've turned up pop and rock and shunned that, just like the classical musicians shunned jazz. Mm -hmm. You know, the jazz, the jazzos are shunning rock. Now not all of them. I want to be clear about that. Ralph Yeah, Yeah. and Nat Hintoff are two very important people especially well both of them especially but ralph j gleason of course was you know young winner's mentor and wrote the san francisco sound the jefferson airplane uh review and if you can get a hold of that book uh that's that's a that's one that's a collector's item that's one to um and rock does that to rap yes exactly
1: and so and disco yeah
4: and and disco especially well just i think disco and the argument that is that's more of a a formula but it does different. have other cultural things that are important there and and so I think that they missed the boat on that one. I think they were upset the Rolling Stones and you know Rod Stewart and everyone was getting in on the fad but they weren't thinking about the other social implications yeah, that right. came with to disco too and yes. meaning for others too because they were seeing the rock musicians jumping in on something that seemed as a fad. And so I understand why they would would come at it, you know, and, and yeah. just call, you know, raw trendy and tragic because in their minds it was. It was sad. Yes. Like but, you know, they didn't understand if they weren't part of that community, especially who disco was very important to, of course they they
3: well, accusing some of your favorite artists for jumping on a trend is way different from filling a a baseball stadium or, you know, and setting albums afire. You know, that's oh. Much, much different.
1: Of course. This is now officially the world's largest
2: anti-disco rally. Well, listen, we took all the disco records that you brought tonight. We got them in a giant box and we're gonna blow them up up real good.
4: So the rock critics, you know, they did the same. So once again, they, they developed in this idea that, you know, they were trying to legitimize what they were being dismissed. And if, if, if Downbeat was the main music magazine in America, let's say in America, because of course we have Melody Maker and NME in England, although they're not covering rock as they should quite yet anyways by the early sixties, um, as rock was slowly starting to develop. And I, I give a lot of credit to the teen fan magazines because they're very, very, very important. I don't care what anyone says in, pop music journalism and rock journal- journalism as well so but there is a lack in the sense that the music was being dismissed and then the teen fan magazine argument is complicated itself especially anything dealing with young women yeah um, um but you know that's that's where their response was coming from definitely
1: well that's a really good segue so do you think a lot of the criticisms that paul gets for a lot of his songs being meaningless do you think that it's a genuine perception of meaninglessness or is it more of a judgment on the meaning of his songs centered around family uh fatherhood women in a non-sexual way etc is it more about a perceived softness in the music that to them is tantamount to meaninglessness
3: yeah Mendelssohn <laughs> called I Am Your Singer embarrassingly puerile, just like she's leaving home.
1: She's leaving home? Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm,
3: what do those have in common? Isn't Jesus this revealing that he chooses <laughs> those two songs to label trivial and silly. Yes, I, I, I think so. I think that's a really
4: good point. And I, and I like that he refers to it as, as Paul's been associated with
3: like these two pieces paul is associated with yeah. Paul has
1: cooties <laughs> he does
3: he does but- he
1: so has cooties
3: and then then there was also the idea that another day was frivolous a very yeah. perplexing idea considering like that's compositionally a very complex song with a, a very strong narrative it just happens to be about a woman who works at an office and so therefore it's trivial and silly
4: uh, you know, at the, in these early days, and I know we've talked about it uh, a little bit, but I, I think it, you know, it's not the Beatles. Would it have been done with the Beatles? Would it have been talked about differently?
3: Well, what is it's rock really and roll about Eleanor? What, what's, what's rock about Eleanor Rigby?
4: Well, and that goes back to the, the, the social aspects, the aesthetics of that.
3: But, wh- but how, is, how is Eleanor Rigby more of a social commentary than Another Day? well i think we go back to one was the beatles and one wasn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah right yeah, but, led zeppelin, <laughs> but led zeppelin can write a, a rock and stompers that goes "Ooh ah lady girl yeah get on your <laughs> knees and like that's considered authentic <laughs> rock and roll
4: <laughs> well i just want to add to that i i you know i created the term Altamont style rock rhetoric because I say it it moves from this revolutionary rock rhetoric to this Altamont style, because I think Altamont to me represents a very masculine and intense side of rock and roll. I mean, people died at the hands of the guards The hell's angels, you know, this is the ultimate sex, drugs and rock and roll bikers party. Like this is, (laughs) this is intense. This is, this is something Hunter S Thompson would tell you about, you know? And so I do think there's definitely a shift. And had those songs come out, earlier, then it might have been different. But by 70, I mean, everything's changed. And not only because of the breakup of the Beatles and the hoping that they'll get back together, but just the rhetoric has changed within Rock. Is it a matter of rhetoric that he's writing? Like, is he, is he just trying to be persuasive? And I think we've already covered that. Is that I, I, I do think Middleson is coming from a, a belief in his mind that this, this just isn't it. And he doesn't he does tear apart mccartney but he also gives him hope he doesn't say i don't like mccartney i mean he still clearly has a fondness for paul mccartney and it, is it because he's paul mccartney is it because he's a Beatle?
1: maybe he'll return to the fold yeah one but day
3: if we're specifically talking about the lack of meaning like that's hit upon in a lot of these reviews is that yes. like it's used over and over again that yes. Paul's music is vacuous, uh, meaningless, empty. Like it's not Trivial. like it's not about any like he's writing jingles for cereal. Yeah, you know you would it's think every single thing he wrote was about throwing a frisbee or something. <laughs> but yeah. in the early seventies, Paul's writing actually very meaningful songs about not just like life, love, and fatherhood. But marriage, the inner lives of single women, daughters standing up to their fathers, the loneliness of old age, the violence of the Reconstruction Era justice system, <laughs> environmentalism, urbanization, and technology changing sexual mores. I mean, it's preposterous to say that his music is meaningless. I, I don't know, just because it's not. This not about, about you,
1: exactly. Just because it's yeah. not talking <laughs> it's about not your issues. You. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's
4: just not, it's not meaningful to to him. It's not, and maybe the sound doesn't move him. And this is where (laughs) I'll say it over and over again. it's, It's complicated just because it, there are so many moving parts here and it goes back to, you know, who is this meaningful to?
3: One more sticky topic is all the attacks on Paul's masculinity. What the Uh, hell is up with that? Well,
4: that is, you know, men are writing from a male perspective and they know what is seen to be um, lacking. You know, if they were writing about a female, they would use something, they would say something similar, but instead of saying flaccid musically or impotent lyrically, that's uh, Mendelssohn's terms, um, for when he discussed, um, wildlife and that's not the only one as you have read and, you know, um, and, uh, it goes down to the idea that soft is acceptable when you talk about Joni Mitchell and talk about how amazing she is because she's female. But when you say flaccid or impotent, <laughs> there's, <laughs> you know, it's not standing up <laughs> or, uh, one is not creating something that that's, that's hard. That's hard rock
3: or rock hard
1: that's oh, the case maybe yeah.
4: <laughs> well and if it were a female I think they would have used it as barren you know it exists it has a purpose the structure is there but going back to Lester Bang's uh, real paper comment is it's vapid in a, in a masterful way so the very very emasculating and to the, to the listeners
1: he's shooting I, blanks
4: it, yeah, I mean these, are what these reviews this is serious like this isn't us just making this up. I mean, these are how the men are talking about this man yeah, and yeah. wings specifically. But that this is a really important thing is that they're not talking about wings ever. They're talking about Paul. McCartney. Yeah. They don't see wings as a ban. I think John Landau actually does give them some credit for ban on the run, gives Linda some credit. And of course, Denny Lane, which he definitely deserves. He keeps in it the whole time. Um, but you're right. I mean... I think going back to the word soft, soft isn't seen as strong, mm-hmm. although soft can be very strong. And um, and this is like Lester Bang's giving Karen Carpenter good reviews is because it's acceptable for her to be
3: however he perceives her to be, right? Yeah, likewise, if Joni Mitchell is writing songs about women's in her lives, which she is, then mm-hmm. she's authentic and meaningful. But if Paul does it, then it's meaningless because well, it's yeah and okay for men to care yeah, and
4: stuff well and bangs has said it said it in some of his articles that you know he joni mitchell made him nervous you know not <laughs> her specifically wow. but what she who she was and so when you don't have diverse writing you get a very you know as we yeah. know from this you get a very select way a very strong direction on, on how people think and you know paul wasn't considered folk i think if ram or even wildlife would have come out and paul was in a folk group in the early 60s i think it might have been better for him in these reviews but i think it's harder to to accept anything that may be seen as soft on his end well and i think it goes down to the alan klein incident you know who's mm. who's blamed for the breakup of the beatles
3: yeah the well, stuff, yeah. to me it seems like it's twofold one is that he's fake like he's not authentic he's been called uh synthetic was one of them um yeah somebody called him an artificial heart pump um, so, <laughs> so it's like even when it it rocks you know like don't take it to heart he doesn't really mean it it's all fake you know Right? yeah
1: because no one who really was rocking authentically would ever dare to write soft stuff yeah. That's that's what I get it's Paul is just not allowed to be genuinely multiple things
3: yeah which we know he is and he can't be anything but right asking sure. him to not be that is it, it's impossible
1: yeah mm-hmm. and and like I'm not well versed enough in specifically 70s criticism or anything to say that 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 observation just applies to them like I'm just speaking as someone who became a Beatles fan and absorbed the existing Narratives
3: mm-hmm. like in my
1: 20s and 30s, yeah, and yeah, how much that is a direct outgrowth of the 70s. I mean, that's not really, I don't know, I don't know, yeah. We were
4: presented to the Beatles stories out of context, so you know, yeah, yeah,
1: very you know, yeah. usually
4: you're not told Paul broke up the Beatles, you're told Yoko did, <laughs> sure, <laughs> you know, sure. In, in our context. And I know people are rolling their eyes like that's not true, okay, well, yeah,
3: no, but. That's, right that's how it's presented um, but if you yeah. reject that if you're what? like well it. that's stupid Yoko didn't break up the Beatles then yeah. the, then then you find out the real answer is Paul so he's the Paul yeah yeah and
4: then nowadays that's not that's not the way it's being seen but it is so embedded in the mythology
3: that right becomes- but here's okay so here's my point though nobody would ever do an overview of Yoko without mentioning all of the nasty comments on her Mm -hmm, looks mm -hmm. or anti-Japanese stuff or just all of the sexist attacks on her like it's part of that story and yet I really don't like this stuff about the like the the attacks on Paul's masculinity are blatant they're not even trying to conceal it or to be clever about it really and it's never talked about in Beatles. Uh, Scholarship outside of you, Allison, like nobody, and and maybe like Aaron Torkelson Weber. I've never seen any of this ever discussed, but it's, I mean, it happened. And I don't want to talk about it because I think it's fun to talk about because I don't think it's It's gross. It's awful. And I don't want to keep like spreading it all over the place, but I think we need to talk about the fact that this happened to him. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in, in How Do You Sleep? He's a pretty face. Who will jump when his mama tells you anything, right? So he's pussy whipped, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. M- Mendelssohn called him flaccid musically and impotent lyrically, as you mentioned.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, Landell called him puerile, I think.
1: Uh-huh.
3: Lester Bangs called, uh, called sterile. Sterile, amazing. Okay, yes, sterile. shooting blanks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lester Bangs <laughs> called him meaningless. He's like vacuous, soft. An interview from Let It Rock in 1973 about Red Rose Speedway literally starts by stating, Paul McCartney has never been his own man. First he was John's, now he's Linda's, and the difference shows. And in a 1978 article for Melody Maker, Paul was promoting London Town and he's asked about various criticism that he's had in recent years and he says, It doesn't help when someone comes along and says, wimpish, wimpish, middle of the road, PPP, which I had to look that up, but PPP means pianissimo, which translates to very, very soft. (laughs) Again, not soft as a compliment. They're not calling him delicate and lovely. They're specifically using soft as an insult to mean insufficiently manly.
4: Yes this is this is pretty a pretty common theme across all of the reviews from from Ram you know till 1980 on with with rock critics and, and discussing Paul McCartney and Wings one you, you hit on it perfectly in the let it rock interview it, that when his first was he was John now he's us in different shows this is a constant theme from the beginning in, in Mendelssohn's review on wildlife, he mentions John Lennon more than he mentions Paul McCartney's name. Yikes. It's, or, or at crazy. least similar amount of times, whereas he only mentions wings a few times. I have the exact number in the chapter. I can't remember off the top of my head, but this idea that it's a constant comparison to John, and, and this is throughout the reviews. It's not, it's not just the Beatles that they're comparing them to. It's John. It's, and, and that's, that's a fascinating thing because John has a very different
3: very different reviews. well and it's funny that they accuse him of never being his own man it's like you literally will not let him be his own man you know the beatles getting
4: back together is always looming never been his own man well then it goes right into the the idea that you're a wimp you know that you, yes. you don't have this masculine rhetoric you're not strong like john you're not telling you know
3: the woman the man. To, to be quiet or yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. the man to go <laughs> F off or
4: something you know i know but how manly is it that that you include and share with the people you find important that you include your family and and that's another weird thing is that the critics constantly place wings as not not a band right they they don't refer to wings as a band and this might be one of the reasons they're not in the hall of fame right but they want to refer to it as Paul McCartney's band. Now this is partially Paul McCartney's fault because it's Wings, then it's Paul McCartney and Wings, then it's Wings again, and so yeah. But I don't also, think
3: that that was his decision. In fact, I, I've read that for Red Rose Speedway, for example, they made him put the name Paul McCartney on the album.
4: That would make sense. That's the record record yes. company as well. That would absolutely make sense. But also the writing credits change too from. Paul and Linda on earlier, yes. just Paul. And so there is a perception that this is Paul's band and then the interchangeable band members as well. I mean, there were only two that were with the band the entire time. Of course, it's Denny Lane and Linda. Linda, yeah. Which Linda is a whole nother conversation, unfortunately. And this is what I'm waiting for. So I'm going to go, why didn't you talk about Linda more? Well, uh, parameters were 8,000 words, and, and Linda's questioned beyond her gender, and I do actually point that one out, is that Linda is questioned beyond her gender, and her, it's her musical ability that's questioned, whereas Paul's musical ability is never questioned, right, Um, but the, the demeanor of it is this concept of him being soft and not standing on his own,
3: (laughs) yeah, But I mean, if they're if you're not going to review him as a real person and a real artist, then how can you accuse him of not standing on his own? When you mentioned John Lennon's name 40 times in the review, you're not letting him be his own person.
4: Yeah, that's a good point. I, I do think at the same time that they are still reviewing McCartney because they still have faith that they can, he can do what they hope he will that, that, you know, they hope yeah. that he can do this grand thing because, because they believe it's in him. Um, you know, of course, based on what they've heard in the past and his, and, and his abilities. And, and one of the things going back to the concept that we talked about earlier about authenticity is, is that although pop is seen as inauthentic, they don't really ever take away McCartney's authenticity here. They accuse him of creating inauthentic materials, but Mm. his Beatles background will forever to them be authentic. So it's, even if he is creating music that is not seen as authentic to them or as soft or flaccid or impotent, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, he's still, they still want him, they still want him to succeed
3: they want him to man up and
4: (laughs) they don't want him him to flop around you know (laughs) you know from the beginning of Wings career it's you know repeatedly commented that McCartney was not producing meaningful or revolutionary music and one of the one of the reviews that really highlights it's from the New York Times it's Henry Edwards and he refers to McCartney and Elton John as just two superstars from middle rock and specifically says, um, what is it, he says, uh, the kind of Muzak, Muzak with a Z, you know, capital M, one expects to hear in the elevators of a nation's more progressive junior high schools. Nice. Like, it's it's, oh, it's cute. cute. I mean, he says, uh, once again, Paul has been, or Venus and Mars specifically, have been affected by a uh, case of the cutes with uh it says venus and mars however with its meaningless rockers is a kind of music That's so
3: condescending
4: <laughs> yeah well and another one says like he could get a job writing
3: soap operas or verses for hallmark cards jeez I, know. I mean not he could it's not all that he does but it is a skill
4: yeah but what's so wrong with that
3: you open well with the idea that
4: where mccartney's interviewed for radio luxembourg and he's like what's wrong with liking everything you know why do i have to be put in this box he fell into a trap like the monkeys did you know if the monkeys would have been created a few years earlier they wouldn't be seen uh so negatively
3: yeah
4: yeah and i and mccartney fell into that trap in the 70s of the critics and as it developed you know and rock developed it was it george harrison says he wishes he sounded like the band at one point Mm. so you know moving away from from some of the interesting stuff the beatles did that will be forever fascinating but not not always rock and roll no it's hard rock
3: yeah 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 i guess it was just that era that specific early 70s era
4: yeah it's it's again it's this weird evolving musical landscape and
3: well that's another thing though i mean you talk about the changing landscape of I mean, the the changing lineups and wings and stuff, but like how uncommon is it for bands to switch out their drummers? Like lots of times nobody even cares.
4: Yeah, that's true. But it goes back to, it goes back to it being seen as McCartney controlling this band and he already had this bad reputation for for being a control freak and he was already being blamed for breaking up the Beatles and that's being attributed to it. So- it's this really uh, interesting pot of a lot going on. And, and the best thing about this chapter is Wings, I, I felt was the perfect perfect time to take on the rock critics, not take them on, but you know, really consider yeah. what they're writing because no one else is Paul McCartney or, or John Lennon. They have a different reception because of how John is treated. So looking at Paul McCartney at this time, Oh, man, what what a fascinating way to to see a lot unfolding from the breakup of the Beatles and to the hope the hope that they'll get back together. Yeah, writings too. So no no one could have been written about quite like Wings was at this.
3: Time. Yeah, I guess they were just kind of like doomed from the start. You know. If Paul would have sounded
4: as they wanted, it would have been hard to yeah. dismiss them. Yeah. But I feel like to Jan winner's delight, they sounded like. Quirky, yeah. Quirky. And, and you know what? I understand that they didn't like what Wings was doing. And, and there's there's the part of me, you know, when you submerge yourself in somebody else's world you start to see why. You're like, okay, I understand. It's not yeah. just the Beatles. It's it doesn't quite fit in this box. But yeah. then don't make it fit in that box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. You know, don't put the round peg through the square
3: hole. <laughs> well, and wasn't that what was so exciting about the Beatles? Sure. You yeah. Know, they sounded different.
4: They sounded different. They they did something that no one else did. Me focusing on Wings and Paul McCartney and Wings is is not to not focus on on John, but the reviews were very very different and and where it becomes very poignant in in the way the rock press is is focused is is looking at these reviews going back. There's there's no other band reviewed quite in the same way. This is not in any way a, a, a love letter to Paul. This is really just stepping outside and going okay, what's going on here?
3: Yeah. Yeah, because it looks wild from the outside. Looking back fifty years,
4: sure, sure. And and I realize that there are authors out there, and 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 fans, and and all of a huge spectrum of people who are like, well, duh, duh, Paul McCartney was dismissed. <laughs> uh, well, how, how do most people know that? They don't know that. They don't know that. And if they read this, they they would be surprised, like like everyone else is now, who's who's reading it for the first time. So this is something that did need to be reevaluated.
3: Yeah. Well, I, for so many years, and I've talked about this on other podcasts or my podcast or whatever, for many years, I avoided a lot of those 70s albums. I mean, I've only gotten into them within the last five or six years, probably. Wildlife sounded nothing like I thought it was going to sound like. Oh, yeah. our All of our rockism is deeply embedded, and, and one of the things
4: that... I think has changed it is the re-releasing of all of all of the wings material um i did want to point out one of the reviews that doesn't doesn't insult him at, at the same time and i and i focus more on the, the positive aspect of it here so we know Middleson has these really negative yeah. I mean, they are pretty intense. I mean, those
3: terms, yeah, yeah. If, if I was written about
4: like that today, I'd be like, damn.
3: <laughs> yes. If I, like, if I'm writing an Adele review and I'm like, Adele's album was frigid and inhospitable. Barren. It yeah, felt dry exactly. and uninviting. It chased me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It rubbed me raw. <laughs>
4: <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that, that is the same kind of concept, which I don't, think you'll hear that you you hear <laughs> no, you, you hear things about other you know certain dislikes of her modern album some of her more modern
1: ones no but if, if someone wrote that people would be talking about it they, they, they would be talking about it there'd be if, massive side-eyeing that
3: it's it's absurd yeah. if, if Mendelssohn said today yeah. flaccid and impotent he'd be ratioed <laughs> on twitter it's a joke oh sure
4: well, you can't, and that's the thing. It's harder to talk like that. And if you do, you'll get attention, that's for sure. And some people might agree with you and, and might read it, but it's definitely not something socially acceptable right. today to talk like that. But the review I, I do want, because I think it falls in the same lines without without being blatant. Paul Gamansini's 73. He has two specific reviews in 73 and Rolling Stone um rod stewart's on the cover he reviews a small um theater show because you know they they packed up in their van and just did a light tour you know not a big Mm -hmm. tour wings in the beginning and he and he says in this on page 14 of this rolling stone he says um it was a respectable concert wings don't rate waves yet but the time for snickering is over now I think that's a very important idea here. He knows who's saying what. I mean, he was in the scene. Um, (laughs) He's known today as the professor of pop. Um, uh, So he was there. He knows what people were saying. But he points out in the review that the females that he met, he met some fans out front, were wearing David Cassidy buttons and talking about, we didn't grow up with the Beatles, but we like wings, right? And this was every opportunity for Gamancini to say look he has the David he's like yeah, a David yeah, yeah. Cassidy now he points it out but he doesn't go in that direction which mm. kind of surprised me honestly yeah, I yeah. as I was reading it I was waiting <laughs> maybe the fact that he pointed it out was enough yeah but they said we're Wings fans not Beatles fans they were wearing Bay mm-hmm. City roller buttons too as I remember and I and I say that this this could be a cause to dismiss them. He's, I think, he refers to them as fourteen-year-olds, as young female teens, and you know they're not often taken seriously in rock. That was my whole PhD thesis: is looking at right. a specific teen fan magazine and focusing Definitely. on those women. And um, but he refrains from it. He does mention it, and people could take that as they will. But yeah. he does refrain
3: from it. I will well, he, has say that. Yes. <laughs> he has a touch of restraint. Yes,
4: he has a touch of restraint there.
3: Um, One of the craziest reviews that you mentioned was in Let It Rock. (gasps) The Dave Downing
4: review.
2: The Dave Downing review.
3: Yeah. So. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Okay. So he gives Yoko a legitimate review. Um, It's not especially glowing, but it's a perfectly fine review. Yeah. And, And he does give George Harrison a glowing review, but- then Band on the Run doesn't even get the dignity oh, of a real you, review. Did, did, so Leonard Rock was a British publication.
4: A, a, a well-known writer that, you know, in the music world that people would know is Simon Frith. Now, Simon Frith did not write this. And he wouldn't have.
3: It's not the type of writer he was. But <laughs> Yeah, it's like a goofy satire of Clue or something. <laughs> within yeah, the, he, the, he makes up all these characters who just sit around and insult Paul in different ways. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So you have read this. Yes.
4: He, he hangs... He says, Oh, Oh, I want to see the cover. And they said the cat pissed on it. Anyways, it's, it's a McCartney record. Who cares? Basically that's all it is. It's, it's yeah. not even listening, not even a review of the record. It's a review of receiving a McCartney record. And that is how he was perceived in wings at that Era. time. Yeah, And it was published.
3: And yes, one of the characters calls Paul the guy who used to play bass for Lennon and Harrison. Yes, he does. And another one says, we all know he's a narcissistic ostrich who can't fight his way out of a million pounds. Well, and this goes back to the Alan Klein issue, doesn't it? I guess that's what that's supposed to be. I couldn't even, what does that even mean? Can't fight his way out of a million pounds. Like A, he won the lawsuit. But and then B... (laughs) Like I was, I guess it just means he can't fight. It's just another attack on his masculinity.
4: Yeah. Well, that's another thing too. Yeah. Honestly, that review, when when I came across that one, I, you know, it's a love-hate situation. You find something <laughs> yeah, fascinating right? yeah, exactly. that really supports everything so bad that you've good. uncovered. Yeah.
1: But then it's not even
4: a review. It's not even a, a reading. It, it, there's, there's nothing, there's no information on the record. It's odds uh, to the McCartney record anyways. Like I want to see the cover. Like they're so excited to receive their free record copy and, but the cat pissed on it.
3: Yeah, it's super disrespectful.
4: It is so unbelievably disrespectful, actually. That, that review is, is probably the best slash worst of them. The yeah. Mendelssohn one is pretty damning, pretty damning. I mean, In its I, own right.
3: <laughs> honestly, like, I mean, we talk about a lot of things on our show. You know, we talk about music. We talk about criticism. We talk about books and how the Beatles are perceived and society and fandom and the Beatles themselves and mm-hmm. their relationships. But one of the really eye-opening things about your chapter is thinking about, <laughs> What that must have done to him psychologically, like the, the way that the entire rock press seemed to close ranks in the seventies and basically ostracize him as hard as, as possible. I mean, it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot to think about. And like when we first started our podcast, we had a lot of listener mail saying, Paul's really respected now so why are you even talking about this? Everybody knows he's a great genius, whatever whatever like this is a dead issue why nobody thinks that anymore but I, I don't see any world in which this is not relevant yeah to the Beatles and to the way that their stories evolved and also like what did it do to this artist?
1: Well, that's, yeah, because people ask the question a lot, like, why is Paul so weird? Mm. Why is his relationship (laughs) to his celebrity so seemingly dysfunctional? Why is he so weird in interviews and talking to the press? Yeah. To be fair, just the Beatles experience would be enough to mess someone up for life.
4: Oh, yeah. Well, and and how can you not, as a human being, let's just humanize them, you know, like, like you said, is that It's hard to read that stuff and not take it personally. You know, it's, it's your work. It's something
3: that you think is great. So many of those reviews are personal though. They're not. They are personal. They're not about your work. So of of course he's going to take them personally. And that's got to scar somebody after a while. Yeah, definitely.
4: Like, I mean, I don't know how, I don't know how you could, yeah, that I mean things like that. I've gotten evaluations from students back and and I've seen other female academics say it sometimes when you read stuff and you think, wow, I I, I think one of them just wrote, I don't like your voice and you're terrifying. Nice. <laughs> but that, that's not that's not a constructive right, you know, I change. Yeah, right, yeah. I can't change my voice. Sorry. I mean yeah. sure, I'm sure I'd like to change lots of things about me. I can't change that. And what do you mean? I'm I'm just really enthused, and you're not. Or, <laughs>
3: well, and this isn't you know, what Tinder. You like, who cares? <laughs> you
4: know, yeah. Know. <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> and so I I just think, well, what you know, what it had to be difficult to read some of that, and to say they didn't read it would be crazy because we know we know, especially John read all of that, right? Um, and at the time so I I wonder if he was reading these reviews and going take that McCartney <laughs> and I'm not insulting John either yeah yeah um, yeah. and just well you know I'm
3: sure there's some rivalry there so so that that's what that's what I'm saying like why this is so incredibly important is not just like let's say that you are a non-compassionate human being and you don't care about Paul McCartney as a person yeah. and you don't have empathy for people. So you're like, well, why do I care that he got his feelings hurt? Fuck him, you know, or whatever. But even so, it's important to not just the story of the Beatles, but it's part of McCartney's relationship with the press for the rest of his life. And yeah. also, it's got to affect the relationship between Lennon and McCartney, because, like you said, yeah. from these very same people, John's getting a hand job. I agree with you and, and that's
4: definitely one of the things pointed out here is how they treat Lennon over McCartney but it goes back to the breakup of the Beatles and just how Lennon is being perceived but I, I also think that what they really miss, what, what they've always missed is who and what Paul is in the sense of, of music and yeah. if you listen to the Beatles and are surprised you get Ram. Then you've missed something. I, I think that's really important, and same with Ban on the Run." I, well, I, I'm a "Band on the Run" fan. That seems to be the people's uh, favorite. It was favored by Landau, and he even says, "Let's just at least assume he means something here." This, this is this is pretty good. We'll take it. We'll take this. Thanks, Paul. Keep doing that. You know. I think that's really important. And I go back to Uncle Albert. If that would have been released with the Beatles, I don't think it would have been talked about in the same way. Paul is is known for his experience with his father who, and his musical interests. And I think in a modern interview, they asked Paul, if he could have written a song, what would it have been? And his answer was, cheek to cheek.
3: Aww. And I yeah. think
4: that sums it up pretty well, is that they misjudge Paul. Now, one thing I I do clarify is that they never question his production or his ability as a musician. If anything, they constantly say, okay, well, this is good, but this is bad. This is good. And usually the bad to them is the meaningless. But I think that also is in some of the sounds that they don't like either that they consider too Mm -hmm. soft or too Mm -hmm. 70 sounding. Or if you listen to, you know, the lads two christmas songs i mean which one sounds more rock and roll versus which one sounds more you know new and poppy and i think paul actually challenges the genre by writing his christmas song and i and i love lennon and ono's for you know their Mm -hmm. christmas song but i i it sounds like what I would expect for them. And with Paul, I do expect something unique and interesting and I got it from Paul as well, but that's a different type of expectation. I expected Paul to be able to do something odd like that and interesting with Mr. Manson and that. And And he didn't disappoint and that's too bad. They didn't ever
3: really accept that or go, wow, that's, that's different. Right. Hmm. They don't really get that about him. And the other thing is that that is consistent. And now, I I mean, I I guess they can't see into the future, so fine. But like, looking back from our vantage point, he's consistently been that way from the beginning. Like he's exactly who he was at the beginning of the uh, Beatles when he's expanding the set list in 1960. We mentioned how later on in the 80s, you know, rock does the same thing to rap that, mm. you know, the older generations did to rock going back, you know, all the way to the beginning of time, every subsequent generation yeah. shits on the new thing that comes up and scares them or whatever. There's even a quote from George Harrison that was circulating on, on Twitter recently where he called rap all that electronic rap. It's just rubbish and, and, yeah. you know, Chuck D clap back at him and stuff like that. Meanwhile, at the same time, yeah. Paul McCartney is using Public Enemy in his shows. That's yeah. super consistent. Like that is exactly how he's been and continues to be even now. Yeah. Collaborating with newer, younger artists. that He's just always been interested in fresh music, new music and anywhere music evolves to because yeah. he's interested in all of it. Some of the criticism of him doing that
4: is trying to stay relevant. And well, one, what's wrong with that? too but a lot of people
3: criticize him for recording with Kanye West they're like what are you doing as I was listening to you Allison and, and having you know uh read your work a couple times and thinking about it I think what it seems to me is that like this era of rock criticism and this the concept of rock as being something that is important and substantial And meaningful while at the same time adhering to whatever our aesthetics of what we think rock is. I think that's something that baby boomers feel belongs to them. The Jan Wenners and the Lester Bangs, that era of writers and influencers, as it were, taking it, calling it rock and making it sort of slightly different from rock and roll and sort of projecting their values onto it and then sort of closing ranks and deciding this is ours that is a baby boomer's way of saying this is this thing that represents us as a generation and our values and I don't think that McCartney of all the Beatles I don't think that he really was on board with that this is me kind of seeing where these writers are coming from because I don't really think that he identified so much with that particular era because he did like older eras of music he did like other genres he was super into reggae at the time in the early 70s like we were saying moving forward he's collaborating with Other artists, he likes trans, techno, hip hop, because he just likes all types of different music. Mm -hmm. So I think in a way he is kind of an outlier. Like if you look at the classic rock artists who are still around, they all play the same type of music that they always have. And Paul's really the only one who doesn't. I mean, Mm -hmm. not that he, you know, he does still play pop music as it were, but like modern sounding pop music.
4: Mm -hmm. Well, I'd like to add to it how you're making sense of it and and, and what you just said, because I, I do think the idea of just calling it rock. and and I know when we're talking, it's like we're working ideas in our head, but just saying that it would be we've decided to call it rock. I don't think it's as simple as that. I definitely think a lot of it has to do and we're going back to folk, that big folk movement and mm-hmm. and I think that changes. It's so much, and this is the big reason, because the rock that the Beatles grew up with, a lot of that wasn't written by the musicians themselves, right? So we have right. Elvis and, and others that aren't necessarily, now. no, some do, right? But sure. the Beatles story, their origins is so important in going to NIMS or, or wherever and grabbing <laughs> this, the new single that, that would come in to play it at the cavern, or more importantly, at the Casbah, before any other band mm-hmm. in town heard it and played it, they're doing covers once again. So, I think that's a really important concept that folk breaks, and when folk is yeah, there are covers right in folk, of course, of course, and they're specific, but they're you know supposed to have this meaning and, and that are culturally significant to the moment and and bringing back covers and Pete Seeger and Woody Guthrie and all of this this group Mm -hmm. that you know really inspires the Dylans and stuff to write their own music right so I think that is one of the big distinctions between the 50s and the late 60s when the when they talk about meaning so much it's typically about did you write your own music and if if you didn't did you perform it or play it or, 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 or reconstruct it in the sense that you're making it your own and you're putting it as part of the movement like Pete Seeger does with We Shall Overcome. Um, and, and that's the where I think rock becomes rock now. What we think of rock now, we think of much something much harder like uh, Zeppelin or, um, or maybe even Van Halen. Uh, which they do rock they do run they do rock, um, they do rock. i'm not no gonna argument. turn either of them off <laughs> but do they have that now zeppelin's mm. a whole nother ball game because of the huge influence from blues that mm-hmm. you know wasn't i think led zeppelin actually just lost a claim against them right they they were accused of plagiarizing and then and they lost oh wow um because they did. And a lot of them did this at the time, but there's still that authenticity that you're relating to something that has really authentic, even if you're poaching it and using yeah. it as your own and adapting it, because what you're in love with is seen as authentic or what you're, what you're copying or, or you're modifying is seen yeah. as authentic. So in that case, then it's acceptable. I know you'll have, or we'll have some listeners that will be like, nope, nope, it's, it's this, it's that, and that's it. And that's okay. That's okay. But it, I really would say that this, this change really is with the, the revolutionary rhetoric and in the, in the the concept of folk that really comes and collides with rock and roll as it develops. So it, it goes back to this this evolving musical landscape and, and that genre is, is always being negotiated.
3: So <laughs> you're saying it's, it's not even about the longevity of the music or even about the meaning of the music. It's about the temperature of the music scene at the time and whether or not it was conforming to what was desired (laughs) and what was valued at the
4: time i think that's part of it um i think also when we think about the beatles sometimes they're presented as as hippies as part of that san francisco vibe and all of that but I, you know, I don't associate them with that, but sometimes they are presented to that. And I think in the case, going back to McCartney, is that all of these ideas that they tacked onto the Beatles, that they felt the Beatles represented, all of those ideas right there Mm -hmm. um, were transferred to McCartney in the seventies. Erin Torkelson Weber does this very well. You know, she talks about how, how we are presented with these stories and, you know, these rock critics have been presented with the same ideas too. As young teens, they saw the Beatles progress and have this important cultural significance to them, right? Mm-hmm. And so we'd love to just pin down and say, it's this, and it's this, and it's this. Yeah. But what I love about this research is this This comes out of it, these conversations. It's, yeah. That to me is, is so fascinating because there's more to explore. Who's to say how much is limited on what we perceive of, of what the Beatles were, I mean, it's we piece together all this information, and, and yeah. even if you're in the moment, even if you're at the time, you're still being presented with perceptions of perceptions
1: of perceptions. Totally. Yeah. So. Yeah.
3: Okay, so that that that's a that's a good uh, segue into that leads us into uh, our final question. This <laughs> is like Jeopardy. <laughs> What are the long-term effects of this early 70s or, you know, 70s journalism on Paul's reputation? We definitely see the same attitude, including the emasculation, I might add, including the, you know, wimp and that type of thing going into the 80s and 90s. I don't think that it's really until the Till the new millennium. The new millennium. I don't think it's really until after the turn of the century that uh, Paul starts to get a bit of a makeover. Um, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. thanks to many years from now, you know, I think maybe he begins An- to be reevaluated.
1: Anthology, maybe
3: anthology, maybe you know, the fireman's death stuff like that. I Linda's think Linda's Dove. death might had a had a big
4: impact. Yeah. I mean, he put out it was, some
3: really good music in the late 90s as well. Let's not underplay that.
4: Just to go onto this, do these long attacks affect Paul's critical popular reputation? I think, I think yes and no. I think in the sense that mm-hmm. maybe Paul collaborates in ways that I don't always like and others don't always like. Maybe working with certain people is a response to that. Or even just creating a lot of material like he always has it could be a response to that that could be the case however i, I do think it's changed or at least it is changing who it really has affected is linen mm. because of the way he was so heralded and uh, just the, the way he was so uh propped up i think yeah in the sense that linen will forever be the one that the young boys wanna emulate and, and dress like and act like. You know, I don't see the kids getting mullets, although they're very popular in the country communities, the mullets uh-huh. um, right now. Big, big ones too, big colored ones. I don't see them getting a mullet and then wearing a rainbow jumper or a sweater you know
3: I don't know that's a very popular hipster look now it it is but is that see and see, but is it because of, is showing. It,
4: <laughs> but there's my rockism showing it's not is it <laughs> I mean I want that sweater but would I have worn it when I was 14 probably not but it's changed you're right that the, the the young people have changed in that sense um so I think that in certain groups you know the ones that love linen beyond questioning that are absolute rock devotees I think in the regards in comparison to Lennon, there are elements that still look at Paul in that way and that will always look at Paul as yeah meaningless pop and Lennon as revolutionary rock mm. but I like I said I, I think it's changing that, that I, it's I not agree. universal <clears throat> anymore yeah I you know, agree. there's no one like Paul McCartney now you right. know there's no one like him and his legacy is monumental I mean and we all know it I mean we're sitting around talking about him <laughs> yeah (laughs) (laughs) but i I, I think you know everyone even if you don't know the name paul mccartney you know the beatles right so like every person has at least heard the beatles i've never heard someone go i don't know who they are i in the chapter and and i talk about that i specifically say that you know there aren't the same type of rock authorities that are going to to frame paul like this are there people who are going to look at him like that forever you know who knows maybe it depends how long this rock rhetoric lingers because yeah. it does still linger we've all experienced especially as women we've experienced rockism mm-hmm. um yeah i remember in high school a guy called me a hair twirler and just you know <laughs> what? what does that hair twirler know about rock why are you playing it was like we were playing oh, like rock to real pursuit I, yeah so stuff like that but n- no i i think that this this will pass but Ling, it will linger There'll be elements that will always linger, but the reference yeah. doesn't exist like it did. So it will change like everything else over time. I think because of the old texts and the way it's been written about that, it that it will always exist, but not to the, not, Yeah, there's no no comments about impotency or any of that. I don't, I think that will go. Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah, no, that's already not okay. Like we've taken care of that. We're yeah. not gonna let that happen anymore. But, um, no. yeah. you know, like we were saying at the beginning of the episode, even books that come out today, di- like the, you know, in the last five years, aside from, uh, Feldman Barrett and Torkelson Weber and Martin show, um, <laughs> they're all basically the exact same book just recycled. So even though people like reviewers and critics aren't writing necessarily like this anymore it's such a part of the Beatles canon and it's so unquestioned that's the thing that drives me bananas it's like it's not really looked at critically
1: well that's the thing if if that sort of stuff can be read without raising eyebrows has the attitude really changed yeah I mean the fact that it it, doesn't startle you enough to be like what up then doesn't that mean that part of that attitude remains I would say so I
4: mean that's why I say it's always going to linger I mean was I surprised by it when I read it mostly the Let It Rock review that one surprised me because it didn't even consider It it wasn't even a review it was basically like so F you, we're not even going to listen to it. And that was happens to be oh. the most critically acclaimed of yeah. all the records to it. was it, you know, well, this, yeah, right, exactly. life. this is on the run. And yeah, so you didn't funny. even give it a chance. Yeah, it blows me away. And so here's what happened for me during this research. And this is why I left it. This is why I didn't finish the, the doctorate research two years in on this and I kept it as a chapter. Could I have gone more into it? Yes, I had plan. but it shattered like some other stuff too. It shattered my, the, the glass, you know, the glass of this rockism mm. that I was kind of embedded in um, as well, although I was, I caught all of these things. It just completely changed my, it changed my world. turned it upside down in the most positive way going through these reviews wow. because yeah, I think what happened was when I found um, some specific teen fan magazines, I, I didn't expect them to exist. So when they did exist, that's when the glass shattered. Because I was like, wait, why do I not know about this? You know, and stuff like that. And so that will be in an upcoming thing to share with you guys. But um, yeah, I just, uh, (laughs) it it blew my mind because I knew it would be bad. I knew that they didn't love McCartney. And I knew they didn't love all of his wings stuff. Based on the lack of talking about it more modernly, except for his re-releases. And then the way they're reviewed more modernly too you know they they hint to the to the disdain in the past
3: yeah right um,
4: right yeah they hint to them
3: and it is real and it happened well it know. helps us
4: make sense of why he has been yeah, exactly this way yeah of course yeah and, yeah exactly and why lenin is 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 gets some of the credit he does now i i know a scholar is working on something on, on that so look out for for more to come but Ooh. Um,
1: Ooh. um yeah yeah
4: there's but just but just stuff coming <laughs> and honestly it i i i left myself out of this as much as possible um with just pointing out look at what's being said and why it's probably being said but it it's a fascinating time period and uh, i think with the lester bangs when i end with with one of his quotes he says um like i think my friend eric has it all figured out he goes to you know basically says he goes to all the concerts in town and he loves
3: them. he just loves music he just enjoys it that's how he ends that very lengthy article lester bangs does seem to recognize that mccartney and wings fans might just have more eclectic tastes than the rock yeah. purists, because he mentions david yeah. bowie Mahavishnu orchestra right like stones Eagles, yeah, well, elton and, john. and they have
4: opinions they have opinions of elton john and david bowie at this point anyways, because they've disappointed them too. Banks makes this comment about his friend, Eric, just loving what comes into town. And he's like, well, maybe that's just the key to it now. Maybe you just got to go and enjoy the music. <laughs> <laughs>
3: he's like, damn it, <laughs> what the hell?
4: <laughs> and, I, and I make this point in there. It, this really is a turning point in the writing of 76. When Banks says this, this is so important. I, he, he shows that, you know, McCartney's continuing forward. And he's embracing this evolving musical landscape Mm. and bangs is struggling with it. I mean, he constantly is ping ponging back and forth between liking it and not liking it. And someone telling him to sit down, like, this isn't a rock and roll show. I'm I'm, what do you mean? Sit down type attitude. And he's like, Oh, well, showbiz is a showbiz does like, Maybe there was this beautiful peak where music didn't seem show busy and it's come back. But we also need to remember that the, the way people toured had changed. The, you know, the Monterey pop closeness of the stars being in and in with the crowd and sitting mm-hmm. and enjoying, that doesn't exist by 76. Yeah. It doesn't exist by 70. I mean, you, you're separate yeah. now. There's big money in these concerts. There's big money in these tours. And it's just a very different evolved change and you either get with it and and go with it or or you don't and I think that's what Bangs's point was is that like well it's not the same anymore and that's why I really like this article is because you get mad at him for some of the stuff he says and you're like Ugh. but then at the same time you're like I, okay you're 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 writing out your emotions <laughs> yeah as yeah because you yeah. you're trying to figure out
3: what's going on
4: yeah
3: you're trying to figure out what happened which is fine if he's owning his own emotional experience yeah. and he's you know working out his issues on paper. That's that. Yeah, it's fine. It, like it, yeah. and projecting his issues onto Paul McCartney and saying it's his problem. He's yeah. He, I mean, yeah. in real time, he's like apparently it's not Paul McCartney's problem because he's having fun and everybody here likes it. So yeah, I'm the odd man out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What am exactly. I mad about? And he and he likes it. He yeah, likes it. that's the other ben, thing too. Ben Fong
4: Torres, Ben Fong Torres specifically says, and I, and I really like what he says here. He says, "It sure sounds like rock and roll, even if it is wings." When he's on the same tour, now he's a very different type of critic. Ben, ben Fong Torres has a different different style than Lester Bangs. I think that one. You
1: no, know, it's a I'm good one. <laughs> a good one. <laughs> Lester well, Bangs is—he's your problematic fave, isn't he, Allison? <laughs>
4: <laughs> he is.
1: Oh, yeah. you know
4: what? It's, it's so funny because as a as a teenager, these these people, these guys, were. I look, I mean, I, I looked up to them. I would find yeah. old reviews. I, I mean, Almost Famous had such an impact on me. Now I Aww. have reconsidered it, but <laughs> like all of the stuff like Ben Fong Torres or Lester Bangs or any of them, it's just, you know, to me, that's, that's kind of starstruck. You know, obviously I can't meet Lester yeah. Bangs. He died uh, quite early, but um, it does feel really good to me that I can tear apart their work in a, in a constructive way but
3: still go okay i recognize you You well you know what it's 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 always best it's always best done by somebody who appreciates it and and sees where they're coming from and likes it yeah
4: well then then that means then the rock critics were right to do what they do right someone who appreciates it and likes it
3: it's always best (laughs) to Well, yeah. If they're do if they're doing yeah. it in a constructive way, that's not talking about yeah. That, oh, yeah, that's true.
4: That, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Sure. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, this conversation sure has not been impotent. That's for sure. <laughs>
1: so it's been yeah. very fertile ground. Exactly. There's,
4: there's no, it's not barren at all. I'm
3: feeling fulfilled. <laughs> I'm feeling satiated. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah allison it's been amazing having you you're amazing and super smart oh, you hey. guys are awesome, <laughs> and you're funny and you're cute and yeah um, <laughs> i love your uh, lipstick thank you. yeah, oh thank you it was awesome having you on I, I hope you come on again in the future sometime
4: thank you so much for reaching out to me and, and having me on as well I, I really do enjoy your podcast and uh And thank you for highlighting this work. This was many years in the making. It was originally an MA thesis that was okay. (laughs) One (laughs) great. You know, I'm still (laughs) learning how to be an academic, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you ever come across that, just know that this is what it morphed into. But I I didn't know if it would ever uh, see the light of day and it. It turned into something really fascinating to me. And Thank you for, for reading it and, and exploring it with me. I love this conversation, and I hope there's comments yeah. that uh, come from it and that, you know, f- lead to further discussion and consideration,
3: for sure. Me too, me too. That's what it's all uh, about.
4: That's what it's all about.
3: So if our listeners want to check out your work, where should we direct them?
4: Uh, well, you can easily find anything that uh, I've announced or have done on my website that I do update. It's just allisonbumstead.com. You can follow me on Instagram. Yeah, Instagram yeah. is the way if you want to contact me. But there, I do have some exciting announcements. <gasps> so and I I think you ladies will love it. I'm very excited. Oh, wow, but, I'm
1: so excited now.
4: But uh, we'll save those for, for another discussion. It's ah, gonna have to it. wait. It's gonna have to wait. I felt like it was a really fun conversation too.
3: Me too. I mean, you could come back and talk about anything. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you guys so much. This has been so much fun.
1: Yay. For us
3: too. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Another Kind of
1: Mind. If you enjoy us, please show your appreciation by writing us a positive rating and or review on iTunes. Follow us on all the social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. Yeah. And give Allison some love
3: on Instagram.
1: Yes. Alison Bumstead, PhD.
3: Yeah. Tell her you want her to come back on Another Kind of Mind. And write more stuff. Yes. (laughs) For us to read. We're all excited to see more of Alison in the future. So make sure you follow her. And love her. Love her. her The way (laughs) she deserves (laughs) to be loved.